Well, again, welcome to Artisan Church to worship here. And, and really up front, before we dive into the scriptures, I, I have a confession to make. My name is Jason. And I am an owner. Hi, Jason. Oh, man. But I am. I own stuff. And I really enjoy it. In fact, there's a very addictive quality to that. I mean, like brain chemistry stuff actually happens when I buy something or have it or know it's mine. The endorphin rush, the the sense of power, and then the crash that happens afterwards, that that buyer's remorse. Like, oh, if I just waited two more months, I would have had like 0.2 gigahertz more on my MacBook Pro. And they would have buffed it with the tears of Steve Jobs instead of this, you know. Just there's always, and there's that cycle. But... I admit it. I am an owner, though I believe I'm in recovery. That I tend to own less than I used to (laughs) has a lot to do with the career path I've chosen. But uh, also by choice, I've made some of those some of those decisions. And and so I think I'm recovering. I'm a recovering owner, but sort of stuck in that place of always recovering, never recovered. So I, I feel some of that. Um, though I have, at this point, decided that I'm not quite ready to go completely cold turkey when it comes to owning things. Well, for some, you know, there's some social situations, certainly, where it's helpful to own. So I'm at least going to attempt to be somewhat of a, of a social owner um, and see how that... Because, you know, there's, when you're at the Joneses and parties and things, it's, everyone's owning there, and you don't want to be the only one not owning stuff. So... So social owning, is, I'm going to try to at least start there. And then, and then I, I do have some comfort in the fact that I know deep down inside that I can quit anytime I want. So, right? so owning. How many here are willing to admit that you too are an owner? Yeah. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or is it a thing? That we need to do something with, right? That's the question. And often, when we think of the gospel, we often think of its application to those who don't own anything, to those who are marginalized on the, on the outskirts of society, those who are the last, the least, and the lost. And is it true that that is who the gospel is for? Yes. But what does it have to say to those who find themselves with a roof over their head, with all that they need, with more than they need, does it have any good news for us owners? Someone hit the fan back there and turn that on low while we're doing the message time. Thank you. And so we started last week. Pastor Scott kicked us off in in this series looking at the book of Philemon. And he helped orient us towards the Apostle Paul, who was advocating on the behalf, primarily it seemed, of Onesimus, this escaped slave who had come to faith in Christ under Paul's ministry and who Paul was now sending back to his former owner, Philemon. But there is also a sense that Paul was advocating on behalf of Philemon, the owner, on, on what might happen in his life, which, if I'm an owner, 
maybe some of you are too, I sure hope there's some good news for us also. And so, if you admit you're an owner, which of course doesn't mean that you're free, what do you think Paul might say to us? And so tonight, I want to take a break from using the screen as much, because I, I really want you guys to be in the Bible. And we're only going to be in a couple places anyways. And so let me have you turn there right now so you're ready. And of course, the book of Philemon, which I do not have a copy of a Bible. Would someone hand me one of those real quick? I do have the scriptures here. Believe it or not, I haven't memorized, um, I haven't memorized past Psalms yet. So since we're in the New Testament, I'll, I have to... I have, to, I have to look at the Bible. So flip to Philemon, which is this 25-verse book of the Bible. Philemon, which is in the New Testament. Say it again. 970. And then also, if you want to put your bulletin or your info card or something else, in Colossians chapter 4, which is on page 958. Those are the two places we'll be. And so this little book of the Bible... Philemon, 25 verses, sort of like the Rudy of the Bible. You know, just put me in there, coach. I'm going to do big stuff. And really, what Philemon set in motion uh, is far bigger than a feel-good football movie, uh, for those who aren't familiar with, with Rudy. Uh, so let's take a look. So the context here, let's start there. If we're going to look at this from the perspective of, of being an owner, it's helpful to know the context. First, we have the context of the letter itself. This letter to Philemon. And the reason I had you mark Colossians also is because we believe that Philemon is a private cover letter to the public letter Colossians. That in fact, these were, these were sent together to this church in Colossae and then the churches around there. And that they go together. So each tells us something about the other. So that context is important. Some of the reasons we think that's true. Uh, in the opening of both of them, you see Timothy named along with Paul in the opening greeting. You see in both letters the possibly private cover letter Philemon and the more public for church public consumption letter Colossians. You have greetings sent in both letters from Aristarchus, Mark, Epiphras, Luke, Damas who apparently are all with Paul as he's writing this. So it's all at the same time. We also see in, in the second verse of Philemon, this Archippus or Archippus, who may have an interesting connection to Philemon. You see him mentioned as a fellow soldier. And then in the conclusion of Colossians, verse, chapter 4, verse 17, he's directed to fulfill some ministry task that he's been given that is somehow encompassed in these two letters. Interesting. And then, of course, there's Onesimus. The runaway slave with the heart of gold, you know, comes back, gets right. Uh, Onesimus, who is this slave concerning whom the letter to Philemon is written. And he's also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, as being sent with this uh, Tychicus. And he's described as one of you. So they know this Onesimus. The story's gotten around that he's an escaped slave, and they'll know who he is. And so it seems like these go together. So that's helpful for part of the context. The other piece of the context is Philemon himself. So who's this guy? And we get a little bit of that right in the first few verses of Philemon. We, get, we can glean a sense of who this guy might be culturally in that society and why Paul's writing to him. 
So if you're in Philemon, just look at the first three verses with me. Verses 1 through 3. Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, and Abphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what are some of the things that we can already tell about this Philemon? Not a trick question. We know he is a homeowner, which is not nearly as common back then as it might be today. He owns his own home, which means he's somewhere in that middle class to upper middle class, probably, maybe even fairly well-to-do, but he's in that range. He hosts the church at his house. At the very least, he may even be in pastoral leadership. Not quite sure. But so within the church community, he's a person of influence and respect. So he's taken seriously on that count. What he does, what he says will, will hold some sway. And then we also know something about maybe his family situation. The fact that this woman, Abphia, is mentioned there as their sister in Christ and that she's put together with Philemon is a pretty strong indication. We're, we're speculating ever so slightly, but pretty strong indication that she's his wife. And so, which is interesting, because Paul, as we heard about last week, if you missed that message from Scott, I encourage you to hit the website and download that or the podcast and get some of that backstory. But as Paul is challenging Philemon as an owner, really, this could have been called the letter to Philemon and Apphia, if it's his wife. Because here's how decisions and and power worked its way out in that culture. In this Greco-Roman world, you had these two spheres of influence, the public sphere and the private sphere. And in the public sphere, no surprise, that was the sphere of men. They called the shots, right? That was that type of culture there. But in the private sphere... In the household, the women called the shots. And so if Abphia is the, is the head woman of this household, and Paul's about to challenge them on how they treat this escaped slave, well, the day-in and day-out handling of those issues, including owning and commanding and caring for slaves, would fall to Abphia. So she would have a considerable amount of sway. And whatever, make, whatever takes place. Now, let's not gloss over the fact that ultimately, in that culture, Philemon could call the final shot. But even in a patriarchal society, yeah, we know better than to completely say it's one or the other, regardless of the surrounding culture. And then, this is, this is a little more speculative. But this archipus is mentioned here. The fact that they're all put together and it's the church in their house collectively, he may be their son. At the very least, he's, he's the pastor, perhaps, in the church they host. But it's even more fascinating if he's their son. Uh, but whether he is or not, they are hosting this church, which in that day and age was not unusual for different civic groups, religions, organizations to have patrons, to have those who sponsored the location, the feasts, all the money involved. And so we know that about Philemon as well, that he's probably 
the patron. We see this a lot in the New Testament scriptures. Uh, Lydia, the European businesswoman, she is very clearly the patron, as well as maybe the pastor of the church that meets in her house. And we see that amongst others as well. And so as a patron who's well-to-do in his family, they are owners. That is the position they hold in this society. And so Paul begins to speak to these owners, Philemon, Apphia, and any others who will hear about this. And in verses 4 and 6 of Philemon, he continues on and says, When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God, because I hear of your love for all the saints. And your faith toward the Lord Jesus. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. And so at the very least, those who find themselves, because of their own hard work or the luck of the draw, find themselves as owners, at the very least, they're meant to be effective with the gospel, to do something with it, not merely to keep it to themselves. So that's a little context. But again, are we really owners? Is that? Let's see. Let's see. So if Philemon is the cover letter that apparently was so good and had such an impact that it, that it just made it into the scriptures there, all 25 verses of it, well, then Colossians must have a lot to say as well if they go together. And so let's just jump to the conclusion. Not jump to conclusions, but to the conclusion. Please don't jump to conclusions. And so Colossians chapter 4 is where this starts to wrap up. And if there was any doubt that Paul was being too subtle with Philemon, the private letter, I think this clears it up a little bit. Despite those who historically have tried to twist these words to serve their own evil ends, I think the trajectory of what Paul's going after becomes very clear. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, if you want to flip there. He says, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so Paul has made the shift from, from chaplain from someone who gives just kind of nice platitudes of, about how you can be good people and get along and feel good about yourself, he's shifted from that to meddling. And he's just told masters that the gospel should make a difference in your life. And so at this point, some of us are thinking, you know, I don't own any slaves. Come on. How big a leap is this? And so, let's think about the things we own and control in our lives. And really how those impact other people. Whether it's the person bagging your groceries, or the kid who made your sneakers. Economically, sociologically, there are connections that exist in our global reality that I think are far more profound than what the common form of slavery was back in this day. 
And so very much so, I think this relates to us. And also, if we look at who we are historically, the scope of human history, as well as where we find ourselves in the world today. And I look out on this group of people at Artisan. It's a pretty elite group. And I'm not trying to flatter you or puff you up. You, you probably, some of you know me better, better than that. Um, but in the course of human history, this is a vanishingly rare occurrence that this type of people would gather that are this highly educated, that have the resources we have at our disposal, that for many of you on the young end of, of your adulthood are just now entering your income-producing years, are just now perfecting skills, are just now at the front end. And so as influential as many of you are already, it will only grow. And I think it's not a stretch to say that we are very much the masters of our own destinies, of our own fate, and in many ways are the beneficiaries of, of many others in this world. And so yes, we are owners, whether we want to admit it or not. And if we're owners, we're not free. We're not free in the sense that approached incorrectly, the stuff we own can own us. But we're also not free in the perhaps better sense of the word and that to whom much is given much is required and so this letter to Philemon and this public proclamation in Colossians is laying it down pretty heavily and so Paul continues just to give more of the context and to see how these connect in Colossians chapter 4 verses 7 through 9 and I encourage you to read the other parts there on your own but he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me, where he's under house arrest and the things that have been going on, because he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. So notice how he just described him. Keep that in mind. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus. And imagine when the folks heard that for the first time, thinking, oh, he, they can't be talking about the runaway slave from a few years back. No. He is coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother. Well, there, now we know it's not the one we thought, right? It's got to be a different guy. The faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Is there an Onesimus I don't know about? You know? No, it's that guy. And they will tell you about everything here. Interesting. And so as I was soaking in the scriptures this week and trying to admit to myself that I am in fact an owner, only barely recovering, lie to myself that I could quit anytime I want, you know, do social owning because of the pressures around me. I was trying to think, how would I put myself in this situation? So... It actually wasn't as hard as I thought. So an example from my life, if I, if Paul was writing to me, what would he draw from my life? So give you an example, and maybe you can draw your own conclusions. But I imagine being Philemon, it would be very much like 
me being an owner, which I am, not only do I own my own house, but I actually own two houses. All the checks that those widows send in for the ministry here, I, no, no. I own two houses so I can do this ministry. Uh, my wife and I, Lisa, we own, you know, my Apfia. We own rental properties that, uh, that then makes us landlords. Do you hear the history of that word? Interesting. And so I, in fact, own a little piece of some people's souls as a landlord. I at least own their security deposit in two months rent if they bail on me. And as Proverbs says, the, the borrower is the slave to the lender, right? And so I own a little part of, these, of some folks' souls. And oddly enough, I own, as a landlord, a little piece of some folks here at Artisan Church who rent from us. And so I could imagine this scenario. I'll just, I'll pull some names out of the air. Let's say I had these tenants and they took off on me in the dead of winter, which is the hardest time to rent a place as a landlord. Uh, we'll call them Scott and Avila. And so, so, so see, they take off. They take off. They, they leave me hanging. They, uh, you know, they kick in some of the drywall on the way out. I, I can't fix the place. They leave empties everywhere. And I'm stuck. And of course, I tell the story about, you know, I'm never renting to folks like that again, you know, right, right out of college, newly married. That's a credit risk I'm not going to take again. And so they take off. And then a year or so later, I get a letter. They make it as far as the Berkshire Mountains or, or just over them. And they are taken in by this ex-hippie pastor. He's still a pastor, an ex-hippie who's now a pastor, been a pastor for years, named Brian Lamberton, who gets them right with God, sees them grow in the faith and mature, and get to such a point that they, the Scott and Avila, who flaked out on, on my lease, are really now qualified to be ministers of the gospel. And I get this letter from my former youth pastor, Brian Lamberton, who says, Jason, Got some folks I want to send back your way. Maybe you know them, Scott and Avila. Oh, come on. He says, here's what I want you to do. And if you remember the letter from last week, great. If not, go read Philemon this week. See if this fills in some of the blanks. And he writes to me in the letter, they're now fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to commend them to you. And I want you to forgive whatever debt they have. And I know you. You'll do even more than that. You know, wink, wink. And oh, you know what? If they owe you anything, like if the empties didn't cover the drywalling, all that, or I may made some money on that deal, but say it didn't. Tell you what, just charge it to my account. Your, your former youth pastor who on his own dime has adopted two children and, and as you recall, baptized you and helps you grow in the faith, and really, you owe me a lot, but, you know, I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> and then it was on me to forgive this, this riffraff, who are now fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and then to think, how would I even go beyond that? Like, 
he's commending them. You know, do we put one of these folks on the church board or something insane like that? That's what I imagine it would be like. And so parts of that story are true. I'm not going to tell you which until dinner time, but I did not change the names to protect the innocent. So you'll have to ask Scott and Avila. But that's how serious this was. And that was the tone that Paul was writing to Philemon as an owner who was out lots of money and pride in his position and now was not only supposed to forgive these folks, but really consider them equals in ministry. And perhaps even since Tychicus is the one who's going to help preach this letter and it says they will tell you about everything here, Onesimus apparently might be tag teaming on this whole preaching pastoring thing and is an owner willing to sit under the teaching of his former slave, of his present slave. Is he willing to free his slave? What are you willing to set free? What are you willing to learn from? What do you own that the gospel may have something to say about? And so he continues, verse 12. This is getting towards the end there. And just gives more of the context and We'll let this direct us towards the end here. But he mentions Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is also wrestling in his prayers on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And then he mentions Luke, the beloved physician, and Damas. They greet you. So he's mentioning Greeks alongside Jews. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha, the church, and the church in her house, a woman pastor. He's throwing her name in there. What's, what's going on here? And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church in Laodicea of the Laodiceans and see that you reach also the letter f- from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, who might be the son, who is clearly a pastoral leader in this church, say to him, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. This task that has to do with how owners and slaves and Jews and Greeks and men and women come together under one master and Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You're an owner. If you're a North American, even Jamaican Canadian, some Western civilization, (laughs) modern person, You own far more than most of human history has ever imagined. Think about that for a moment. In fact, those who, uh, if this idea of ownership is, is somewhat addictive, if it is something we struggle to let go of, then maybe we can learn some things from our, our friends in the 12-step in the community. Anyone familiar with step number four? 
It says, make a searching and fearless moral inventory. Let's not abstract that too much. Let's actually take inventory of the things we own. So let me ask you to do this first. Examine what you own. Just think about that for a moment. What are the things you own? And don't get all the complexities about my mortgage and the car loan. Come on. You own that stuff for the most part. The clothes on your back, the shoes on your feet, the little communication device in your pocket that can literally connect you to three billion people with a push of a button. What kings would have killed to not have to send stuff by way of horse and courier and runners and, and falcons, you know? There'd be less inane twittering if you had to send it by falcon, wouldn't there? <laughs> Especially at some point, that falcon would just, you know, no one cares what your cat is doing. And then it's kind of scratched your eyes out a little bit. And then you took a break from twittering. That's a feature they need to add. But the things you own, the things you own. But really, well, and go beyond your freedom, your means of income. The fact that if you have a job, and most of us here do, the money you make for that job, you get to keep most of it. You know, I'm getting close to tax day here, but that you get to keep any of it. A little unusual. That, that you can own land instead of being a feature of the land, which for a lot of human history, you know, you were like, you were like kind of old trees, babbling brook, cul-de-sac. Oh, in this family for generations, they come with the place also. And so the landlord owned the land that owned you. Or for the women here, that you own your own body, your own decisions, your own, that you don't need your dad to co-sign your car lease or your husband to give permission for you to get a credit card or, or medical treatment or unheard of. You are owners. And so it's important to examine what you own. But is that good or bad? Well, that depends on how you own. So take this inventory. How do you own things? And here's where Paul meddled. And I'm going to also. Because how we own stuff says a lot about what we truly worship. And so if you flip back to Philemon, verse 20 and 22... Paul is encouraging Philemon to continue on this shift that he already sees at work of going from being a pure owner. And you'll see the spectrum here in a moment. Verse 20 and 22, he, Paul says to Philemon, again, privately at first, we now know it publicly. He says, yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. And so there's some language there of, of refreshing. And I got thinking about that. When we, it comes to refreshments, you can own refreshments. You can host a party where refreshments are served. Or you can serve the refreshments yourself. And that's a different place to be in each of those. I also was looking here at this idea of, of hosting. 
And maybe that's a first step for owners, that they take what they own and they at least let others have some benefit from it. And then beyond hosting, to serve. And so where do you find yourself on this spectrum? If there is a spectrum, and I sort of think Philemon, that the gospel's already been at work in his heart. He's already a host, but he still kind of owns stuff. And sure, the church meets here in my house. And yeah, Onesimus, glad he came to Christ since he's my slave. There may be some things to let go of. And so what would that shift look like if you went from being an owner to a host to even a servant? To make that shift and then to truly be free. trying to think of some examples that might help and of the things that that i own or or others own i think of uh, of scott you know one of the pastors here we live across a yard from each other a little mini compound there uh the big yard that we all share this yard and there's only one lawnmower scott owns it he could own it in such a way that there would be a need for two lawnmowers <laughs> But he doesn't. He also could lend it or say, if you put gas in it, well, it's electric. Uh, if you pay me, you know, a dollar every time you use it, he could host it. That would be appropriate. But instead, he mows a lawn that everyone uses and parts of the lawn that aren't even his property. I also try to do that because I have my own private backyard as well as the shared yard. And so when I mow my private backyard that I own, I often will mow the other yard as well. But I have this private backyard that I could be a good host and invite some of you folks, you know, if you were so lucky, to come sit in my backyard, enjoy some refreshing drinks there in the Adirondack chairs that I own. Or I could see that as a way to serve folks so that the people who pay rent to me, instead of saying, don't touch my grill. I say, if you need to grill, there's one right there. You see, if you're an owner and you see other people flipping burgers on the grill you bought, you're like, I need to stop that. If you're a servant, you think, oh, it's getting used. It's beneficial. Because really, at least that first year, you want to amortize the cost of those burgers. Those are some expensive burgers that you're cooking on that grill. You could have that thing catered by puck, you know, and you would, uh, and so every time someone uses that grill, it becomes more and more useful as the nickname of Onesimus. So for you, what are some things you own that you might be willing to use to host or to even serve that spare bedroom? You know what owners use spare bedrooms for junk, (laughs) all the stuff they own that they don't have any place to put. You know what good hosts use spare bedrooms for? As a guest room. That may be your starting point. What do servants use a spare bedroom for? Oh, now we're meddling, right? (laughs) What do you own that needs to stop owning you? And the only way to be free is to serve I'll close with this example. Here at Artisan Church, 
Because the gospel in the, in the passages of scripture, they speak to us individually, but also as a community. And if you've been here for only a short amount of time or so long that you've forgotten, you may not realize that we don't own this building. We effectively are living in the basement of our mom's house. Uh, We have a sweetheart deal. Our denomination owns this building and they give us the rent we've paid for the last year and a half. It's a lot like mom saying, oh dear, just just pay what you can. And can can I fix you something? Some grilled cheese, you know? Oh, do you you need some money? You going out? Here's some money. Like literally, that's how they've treated us. But we're starting to get to grown-up time as a church community. Our delayed adulthood, our extended adolescence. You know, our third, fourth year of ministry here. What would it mean to own this place? And so we've, we've largely decided that we will own it. But there's still a question mark about how we'll own it. Because we could own this place. In fact, if we start doing, you know, fundraising and challenging folks to, to own this and be part of that, and it's just for us to have to ourselves, I will not be excited about that. In fact, some of the other staff have said it so strongly that if we become a church that does this capital campaign so we can own something, I'm not sure I would want to be part of that church. So let me put your mind at ease on that one first. But we could. We could own this. And then if a group, oh, let's pick something in the air, want to do a Halloween event here, we could say, no. This is a church that we own. We use it for holy things. Or we could be good hosts and say, sure. For $300, which is an incredibly fair price, you could have the building and pay the cleaning fee and all that. Or... Here's a crazy thought. We could use the building to serve. To invite them in. And and I do believe there... Actually, I don't remember if there was a cleaning fee even involved in that. In fact, I don't think there was. I think it was free and clear. And not only that... ah, Maybe there's a cleaning fee. Who knows? It was fair either way. We served and set up and decorated. In fact, we went so far as to design a message series around the fact that this place is going to be decorated for Halloween. We did the series called Scarecrow. We didn't just have, let them show up. We ran a free special photo station that the kids who came in their costumes got photos. We, we did a, a pumpkin painting that were artisan folks served. And we continue to do that. And if we're going to own this place and use it to serve... That I can get excited about. And so I feel a little bit like Paul, where I say things like, confident of your obedience, I am speaking to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so I'm encouraged that the gospel has already taken root amongst the heart of the owners here. And most of us are already at the place of hosting and being of benefit. And many of you really are servants. And the rest, you're on the path. And as a church, that's the place we're going. And so, if you're an owner, what will it take to be free? Here's three options. 
Maybe you want to say this with me. It's not too creepy. Go ahead and say, I am an owner. I am not free. I am an owner. I will set free. I am an owner. Set free to serve. Let's pray. God, we thank you that though you own us to the core of our very being, you give us true freedom to choose good or evil, to rebel or to obey, to own or to serve. And we thank you that in the scriptures we find good news not only for the last and the least and the lost who so desperately need the hope of the gospel, but also for the first and the most and the powerful who so desperately need the gospel. And wherever we find ourselves in the world's economy, You have good news for us. And at the foot of the cross, the owners and the slaves, the men and the women, the Jews and the Greeks, everyone is equal. And we are set free to serve. Help us do that. Move us along that spectrum. We pray these things. In the name of the one who owned it all and let it go to come and serve. In the name of our Lord and servant, Jesus Christ. Amen. Respond as God leads you. This is your first time here. You'll probably pick it up. The communion table is open. It is a table where people meet as equals. If you're a follower of Christ, examine your heart. And then if you find anything lacking, do not stay away from the table. Run to it. And ask God's forgiveness and grace. And through the sacrament, experience that. If you're not a follower of Christ, it's okay to take a pass. And to be thoughtful in prayer. To examine what maybe owns you. And where you want to be and why you're here. And if it helps, I'm going to hang out in the back corner there in some chairs. If someone wants to come talk and pray, I'm here. Or feel free to tap someone else that you're comfortable with. But with that, we open up the rest of our time of worship for you to respond freely. As God leads you. Continue worshiping.